morning, everyone. Uh, I'm going to pray quick before we get into our hour-long preach. <laughs> Father, we come before you this morning. We just thank you for this time that we get to share with you. We pray that your word would just reach us, Lord. Your Holy Spirit would work with us. And yeah, Father God, that you would work through me um, in your strength, Father God, not anything of my own. pray this in your name, and we thank you, Lord. Amen. I'm joking. It won't be an hour long, I promise. My name is Travis, for those of us who maybe haven't met. Um, I'm married to Amy, who just left. Oh, yeah, I can take this off. Great. Um, that's much better. Uh, we have a little boy. His name is Eli. We've been coming to Common Ground Denville now for about eight years, I'd say. Uh, we serve on the deacons team. Uh, Eli has been coming to Common Ground Denville for about nine months. He doesn't serve on anything. We're working on that. This morning, I have the amazing privilege of carrying on with our Mark series. As you might know, we've been going through Mark for a couple of weeks, um, and we've done this early in the year, and we'll continue to do it throughout the year as we go through the different chapters of Mark. And I've just really been encouraged or excited about going through Mark. It's, it's something I enjoy Mark. Mark is very to the point. He gets to the point quickly. He says what needs to be said, and then he moves on. Uh, he doesn't faff around. Uh, that being said, I also really enjoy the Lord of the Rings books. And if you've ever read one of those, they are so full of extra, you know? Like, there's just so much extra detail. It's hyper details. Um, and it's, it's so that you can get more understanding of what's going on. You can get a bit more color. You, get, you feel like you're there, you know? You're in the moment. The interesting thing with Mark is that he doesn't quite fill things in like that. He just says what needs to be said. But... If you spend a bit more time in Mark, you'll actually see that the way he says things does color things in a bit more, so you get to understand things and, and feel like you are in the moment. Um, so that's why I'm really just enjoying the series. This week, I get to speak about goat. And maybe some of you heard me correctly and some of you didn't, but I did say the word goat. Um, but it's actually the acronym goat, not the farm animal goat. It's greatest of all time. It's an acronym that's been around for a while. It's, I heard it for the first time about four years ago, but it's been around since about the 90s, and it was coined by none other than Muhammad Ali, possibly the greatest boxer of all time. We can disagree or agree later, I'm sure. Um, but it's a phrase that's used in so many different categories of life, everywhere you can think of. You can think about the greatest singer of all time, the greatest actor of all time, the greatest chef of all time. And it's a phrase used to convey this idea that someone is the greatest at something that they do. So who do you consider the greatest singer of all time? It's probably different to who I say. But I mean, we've all got someone in mind, right? The same thing, if, if you try to think about your life, there are people that you maybe try and emulate in your life because you believe that they are the greatest at something that they do, and it's something that maybe you would like to be great at as well. Maybe it's the greatest restaurant owner. So maybe you want to emulate your life after Gordon Ramsay or something. I don't know. Greatest rugby player in the Western province. Greatest teacher. Everybody would like to be great at something. And why not? Why wouldn't we want to be great? Why wouldn't we want to be great at something that we do? We have this God-given longing, actually, to be great. God created us to be great. He created Adam and Eve. He set them above the animals, and he allowed them to have dominion over the earth. He made them in his likeness. That is great. He created them to be great, to be significant. So then, what's the catch? 
where's Travis going to pull the rug out from underneath us as we start agreeing with him? No. There's no catch. We are supposed to be great. We are supposed to do everything we can to the best we can do it so that we can be great at those things. But it's like that feeling. That, you know, I, I just, what I just did there is, you know when you get your SARS rebate and you're like, yes, I got some money back. And then two days later they send you an email, please come into your local SARS branch with all the detailed information. You're like, oh, come on, so close. You see, what happens is we don't stop there. We don't stop at this wanting to be great. Our longing for greatness is corrupted by sin. And we end up having, yeah, it's, it's corrupted in two ways, sorry. It's corrupted in two ways. The first is that it's no longer a longing to be great, but rather a longing to be known as great by others. It might sound similar, but there's actually a big difference. The one is wanting to be great. The other one is wanting to be told you are great. Walter Payton, an NFL player, said, when you're good at something, you tell everybody. When you're great at something, they tell you. And that's, he's not wrong. It's exactly what happens. We get told when we are great at something. The corruption is that we feel this need to be told that we're great before we accept that. We feel that we have to get our value from what others say about us. That's where this corruption comes in. The second is, it's no longer a longing to be great, but a longing to be greater than someone else. That's exactly where that GOAT acronym stemmed from. Comparing one person against another. And if you look all over the internet, you'll find lists. Top 100, top 50, top 20, top 10, top 5. In almost every category you can possibly think of. But it's not only on the internet, and it's not only between famous people that we have this comparison of people. Just think about your everyday life. We determine how good we are at something by comparing ourselves to those around us. Now, both of these corruptions can be summed up into one area. And it's a big one. It's a biggie. It's pride. And we fall to this thing the same way that the disciples did. And if you're asking when we're about to reach the, pray, the actual verse, we, we, we're here, we're right here. This morning we're reading Mark 9, verse 30 to 41. It says, They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want them, did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. 
Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So that's the overarching story, right? Read through it pretty quickly, but let's start to color it in. I'm going to warn you ahead of time, I'm no way a storyteller like Tolkien, but I'm going to use my grade one crayon coloring and skills to try and fill in some gaps here, maybe. To start, we need to understand the one thing that weaves its way through all of these situations, and that's the pride that we spoke about just, just a little bit ago. In each of these situations, we, we have this area of pride. The first area of pride is how do I look to others? I don't want to look ignorant in front of others. See, the passage starts with Jesus telling the disciples about how he's going to be killed and raised again in three days. And then Mark says, but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him. To be honest, they probably remembered the last time that one of them confronted Jesus about him saying this, and he said, get behind me, Satan. So, I mean, I would also be a little hesitant to approach him on the topic, you know. But Jesus wouldn't have said this again unless he wanted them to understand something, unless he wanted them to learn something. But rather than ask questions, the disciples were too afraid of looking foolish in front of their friends. Too afraid of possibly, possibly being rebuked in case it made them look like they were less than the others around. I have an example of this in my own life. Earlier this year, we had a, a VAC student start with us. Um, uh, he was a first year, and he was doing some stuff on the computer for us, and I didn't understand half of what he was doing. And rather than ask him to explain to me, I didn't want to look silly. I didn't want to look, you know, I'm a graduate engineer. I've been working for eight years. I can't look silly to a to a first year. It's just not realistic. Well, it is realistic, but it's, it's, it's not what I wanted to be realistic. So my own pride got in the way of me learning something and being able to understand. I think it's my phone. Sorry. But maybe another example is you are at small group. You have a question. There's something that, that's burning in your heart about a topic or a question you saw something you don't understand. But rather than ask a question, you'll sit back because you feel like this is something that most Christians should know. I should know this. I shouldn't be asking this question. And you, you think, you know, it's going to show that I'm less mature in my faith than I actually am. When in actual fact, if you don't ask that question, you end up being less mature in your faith. Or worse yet, you go somewhere else for an answer that is not helpful or not theologically correct. Why do we do this? The disciples, rather than trying to gain understanding as to what Jesus was going to do and what kind of savior he was going to be, would rather be confused than look dull for a couple of seconds. Why would we rather be confused than look confused? The one is far worse than the other. We allow our pride to get in the way of our understanding. 
the disciples, they don't skip a beat though. They pretty much jump headfirst straight into the next area of pride. How am I better than others? Between themselves, they've been arguing along the road about which one of them is the greatest. And this time Jesus confronts them and asks them and they, and they stay quiet again. But I think it's this time because they are actually ashamed. They realize that they were, what they were doing is wrong. So credit where credit is due, they, they knew what they were doing they shouldn't be doing. How often do we find ourselves in this position comparing ourselves to others? The reason I ask this is because I think we'd actually be surprised at how easily we fall into this area. How often do you compare your position, your ability, your worth to your friends, your colleagues, your family? Maybe you think, I'm a better mom than that mom because I don't let my kid run around with a runny nose. I don't let them run around without a jersey when it's cold. Maybe you're in management and you think, you know, uh, I deserve more congratulations. I deserve more praise because I am more important in this company than the tea lady. So I deserve to be great. You know, I'm great because I am great in this company. The disciples did exactly this and they felt ashamed. The same way that I'm pretty sure we would feel ashamed if any of those thoughts that we ever thought came out to light. And we're all quick to jump on the disciples here and say, Oh, you know, how could they do that? How could they compare themselves to each other? When in actual fact, what you've just done is you've compared yourself to the disciples and said, oh, I would never do that. And see what I mean about it? we slip into this so quickly and so easily. And as if to bring the point home even further, they go and do it again in the last situation. They told Jesus how they tried to stop a man from driving out demons in his name. I mean... You know, they're the ones who were picked. They were the 12. They, they are his disciples. Only they are allowed to call out demons in Jesus' name. It reminds me so much of some of the interactions that Jesus had with people in his life or the reactions that people had towards Jesus. Matthew 12, 24, it's the Pharisees telling Jesus that he can't do something because, you know, he's not one of them. It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. That's quite intense. Nathaniel, when told about Jesus, says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Matthew eleven nineteen, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's friends with those people, so he can't be any good. Can't be. See, the man that the disciples tried to stop didn't match the criteria that they had set for who is allowed to drive out demons. He wasn't part of their group. So he couldn't be good enough to do what was needed. And again, we do something similar. Maybe you think, oh, those people, they're not good teachers because they don't teach the same way that I teach. They, the way they teach is so far behind or so different. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It won't work. Those people, they can't join my small group or my church because they aren't from the same area. They don't have the same background. It just wouldn't, make, it just wouldn't work. That church, it can't be Christian because they have traditions that are just weird. They just don't, like, what? I don't understand that. 
See, what happens with this pride of comparison is it makes us believe we are either better or worse than those around us. In actual fact, the disciples might have felt worse than this other guy because just before this, they had failed to drive out a demon in someone. And if we can't do it, then surely he can't do it. That's not how this works. If we're not allowed to, then, or if we're not able, then he's not able. He shouldn't be able. It reminds me of the Pharisees telling Jesus that he couldn't heal someone on the Sabbath. If we can't do it on the Sabbath, then you shouldn't be able to do this on the Sabbath. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. In these three examples, we have the disciples falling to their pride because, first of all, they try and get value from others. And second of all, because they believe they are greater than others. But now we get to the good stuff. I promise it's not all so doom and gloom, not so heavy. It's not all about our failing to, pr- to pride every day. We get to how Jesus responded to the disciples. We get to see Jesus in his compassion, his love, his mercy, his grace, and his patience, showing them how they can work, their life, work through these things in their lives. So what we'll do is we'll take it one scenario at a time again, but we'll go backwards this time. We'll go from the last one to the first. Jesus responding to them driving out, about some, uh, telling someone to stop driving out demons in his name. He says, it's pretty straightforward. He just says, do not stop him. And then he goes on to explain. He says, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Don't get caught up in the fact that this person is not one of you. He's not competing with you. You aren't competing with him. You're not running a race against this other person. Jesus doesn't care which, you know, serving Jesus isn't about which denomination you belong to, which preacher you listen to, which church you go to. Don't let your preconceived ideas of who it is that serves in Jesus' kingdom blind you to the fact that there are people who are serving in Jesus' kingdom that will reach people that you cannot. Or actually maybe even people that you will not. Of course we need to make sure that the people who are preaching and teaching in Jesus' name are teaching from the Bible, that they are biblically based and that they are not saying things that contradict to the words of God. But we also cannot let our pride get in the way of others reaching the lost. An example of this is, you know, those churches where they wear the hats and the robes and they swing the thing. I don't know which one is which. I can't remember who does what. But do you think Jesus would stop someone coming into heaven because they were saved by someone who wears a funny hat? No. I think that's absurd. I don't think that makes any sense at all. Jesus shows us here that our preconceived ideas of who is working in the kingdom of God is so far below who is actually working in the kingdom of God. In fact, he even says that if you give something as simple as a cup of water in his name, then you will be rewarded in heaven. He says no to the idea of comparing ourselves to others. He says that there is no need to compete with them, rather to run alongside them. He lets us know that anyone can do great things in the kingdom of God. 
even it's as, if, if it's as little as giving a cup of water in his name. Even that is great. And greatness is exactly what the next point is about. Mark 9:35. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, "Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all." Sitting down here is actually quite significant. Sitting down meant that this is a teaching moment. Jesus was about to teach his disciples. So this is where Mark's coloring in a little bit. He would sit down and the disciples would gather around and stand and listen. That's like me just sitting down here and you guys having to stand. Maybe we'll implement that somewhere in the future. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but you notice here that Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples about the fact that they were arguing who was greatest. He doesn't even tell them not to pursue greatness. He does the opposite. He tells them exactly how to achieve greatness, how to be first. The problem is it's probably not the way we would think that it needs to be done. It's not the way that I know that us in the 21st century think we need to achieve greatness. But the reason he does this and the reason he gives them such a simple answer as to how to do it is because, as I said in the beginning, we are intended to be great. We are created by God to be great. Do you think that if you are given opportunities and gifts and talents, that you shouldn't be using them to their fullest, and you shouldn't be doing as much as you can with them and trying to be great with those things? Do you think that's humble? Or do you think it's sinful? Because God has given you these things to use to their utmost. The difference is how we use those things. See, God's path to greatness is very different to the world's path to greatness. It's the exact opposite. It's to be first, you must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus comes with the actual only way to be great. It just doesn't fit our narrative. See, our narrative is that to be, sorry, our narrative is that greatness is determined by status. Where Jesus says that greatness is determined by service. I'm going to say that again because I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to share in this, in this, in this scripture. Our, our narrative is that greatness is determined by status. Where Jesus says that greatness is determined by service. He shows this even more by, by giving this, this physical illustration. He brings this child up to them, and he says to the disciples, any of you that receive a child in my name, receive me. If you welcome this child, you are welcoming me. And if welcoming me, you are welcoming the one who sent me. And he does this because children back in the day had a very particular status. And that was nothing. Children were seen as valueless. The reason is because back in the day, most children didn't make it past the age of five. So a lot of effort and time and things were put into these children and you may get nothing out. So it's a sad reality, but they were seen as valueless. They were seen as the lowest rung of society. But what Jesus says here is that welcoming those who are seen as valueless, those who are seen as less or not great, as lost, 
you would actually be welcoming in Him. And in doing so, in serving those who can bring nothing to the table, you are serving Jesus. And in serving Jesus, you're serving God. There's no, pri- there's no greatness in taking pride in the value we get from others. There's no greatness in taking pride from putting ourselves above others. The way to greatness, as Jesus described it, is through serving. And through serving all. And then, as if to show this even more, he gave us the most incredible example of this. And it's the final point for this morning. It goes back to where this passage started where Jesus tells the disciples how he's going to be killed and raised again in three days. He tells the disciples exactly what's going to happen. He's trying to help them understand that he is going to be a different kind of savior. He's not going to be this warrior king that returns the pride of the Jews and takes them out from under the oppression of the Romans. He's going to be great in a way that they least expect it, in a way that doesn't make sense to them. See, this idea of dying, it it doesn't seem great. They they, they can't relate the two. It doesn't match the picture they have in their minds for God or for Jesus. He offers himself up as a suffering servant, the exact opposite of what is expected. In fact, he offers, offers himself up for death on a cross, which is shameful and humiliating. It's the exact opposite of prideful. He served to the, to the point of sacrifice for us in the greatest way of all time. It, it, no contest. This is the greatest of all time things. There's nothing else that can compare to this. See, Jesus, who had the full right to be king, put service above status. Paul points to the same mindset that Jesus had in Philippians 2 verse 3 to 9. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. It says it there. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not use this to his own advantage. So he's already the greatest. He is God. He is great. Full stop. But he puts himself behind all of us. He puts himself last. And through that, he is exalted to the highest place. What greater example is there to the disciples than what Jesus was telling them he was going to do? I would love the band to come up so long. I'm about to do the last verse and then the last little bit and we're going to end off. Jesus served us in a way that we cannot 
possibly match. There is no way we can do anything like what he did. But he did it as an example of how we should lay our lives down for those around us. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Our call this morning and every morning is to lay down our pride, lay down our status, our position, and actually lay down our lives in service of those around us. Take on the nature of servants and put others before ourselves. Be great, but be great by serving with all the talents, all the gifts, all the opportunities, all the privileges you have to uplift those around you. Even those that, that, that society may see as valueless. Will it mean that you maybe don't get the greatest position here on earth? You maybe don't get the, the newest toys, the newest gifts. You don't have everything you expected here on earth. You're not great as you expect on earth. Yes, it probably actually means that. Sorry to say, it probably means that. But it is a call that Jesus makes that means we, may, we will be able to achieve a different kind of greatness. An everlasting, eternal greatness. A greatness above all others. A greatness that we get to share with the king of the universe. It is an internal greatness as we're exalted up to a highest place with our Father, with our Savior. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, I pray this morning that as we take these words on, Lord, that you would help us to see Areas in our lives where we can use what we've been given, use our talents, our gifts, our opportunities. Use them to their utmost. Use them in a great way. In service of others, Father God. In service of those around us. In service of those who are downtrodden, those who are broken, those who are lost. Father, I pray that as we walk out into our lives, Father, we would we would make it our mission, make it our a point of our lives to be servant-hearted to all those we come across, all those we meet. I pray that we would put everyone else above ourselves as Jesus did. And in that, Father, that you would exalt us to a higher place one day when we're in heaven. But Father, I pray that while we're here on this earth, that would be our mission. Our mission would be to put others above ourselves, to serve in a way that you served us, Father. I pray for you to strengthen us in this area, to help us to release pride, to, to let go of pride and, and what we think is right, what we think is, is needed to be first, and to set above all things, serving you and serving your kingdom and serving those around us. I pray this in your name, Father, and I thank you that you gave your son as an example of this. We thank you, Lord. Amen.